0: I can see the disciples in my mind's eye sitting or standing in the shade of a tree listening to Jesus. He's talking about their life together, about what they should do if one of them sins against another. And he makes it very clear that they are to do everything they can to restore that broken relationship and to bring about reconciliation. First, go to the person who has done you wrong, Jesus says, and talk to him when you are alone. If the wrongdoer won't listen to you, then gather together two or three others to come with you and try again. And if that doesn't change things, then get help from the whole community. Peter thinks about what Jesus has said and then asks, just how often should I forgive Jesus? Should I forgive as many as, say, seven times? It's a logical question. How many times? When is enough enough? The other disciples nod their head in approval. Forgiving someone seven times seems pretty generous to them, and maybe to us too. Sure, most of us are quick to forgive a minor goof-up on the part of a loved one or a friend, things like forgetting to put gas in the car or being late for a lunch date or leaving the dishes for you to do. Don doesn't do that, by the way. But when someone does these things over and over again, it begins to get old, doesn't it? And if the offense is more serious, like sharing a secret or spreading malicious gossip or you name it, then to forgive a person even once, let alone seven times, seems pretty tough. Jesus looks at Peter for a while and then says, Not seven times, I tell you, but seventy seven times. Or as some translations have it, seventy times seven, which basically means over and over again, without limits. And then, as Jesus often did, he tells his astonished disciples a story. One day, a king decides to settle accounts with his slaves. And at the top of his list was a man who owed the king a debt of 10,000 talents. The disciples would have gasped when they heard that number because they knew that a talent was about, one talent was about 130 pounds of silver, an amount that it would take a laborer of 15 years to earn, which meant that this unlucky slave owed his master about, 150,000 years of labor. Obviously, such a huge debt could never be repaid, and so the king decides to recoup what he can and orders the man, his family, and his possessions to be sold. Terrified, the man fell on his knees and begged the king to be patient and to give him time to repay everything. Despite the impossibility of this task, The king took pity on the man, but instead of giving him more time, the king forgave this man's enormous debt in its entirety and let him go scot-free. Shortly after the man left his master, he saw another slave who owed him a 100 denarii, roughly equivalent to three months' labor, not a small amount, but certainly nothing compared to what he had owed. The slave rushed up to the man, grabbed him by the throat, And demanded payment. And then something happens we've heard happen before. The man falls to his knees and says, please be patient with me and I will repay you. But his plea falls on deaf ears, and the man has him thrown into prison. When word of this incident reaches the king, he orders the slave to come before him, and then he tells him how it is. You wicked man, he says, I forgave you all that debt, showing you mercy that you didn't deserve. Surely you should have done the same for your fellow slave. And then he hands the man over to be tortured until the man's impossible debt should be repaid. Then Jesus delivers the punchline. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is not one of Jesus' more comfortable parables, is it? Mm -mm. This one makes us squirm. And on the face of it, I doubt that this parable will encourage any of us to forgive from the heart. Forgiveness is hard enough on its own, but to be commanded to forgive is like telling a child to say he or she is sorry. Even if they say it, they don't usually mean it. And I think that when we forgive, Jesus truly wants us to mean it, to forgive from our hearts which is one clue to the meaning of this parable. Notice that it has to do with numbers, with debts owed and payments to be made. It seems to me that Peter's question also has to do with numbers. How many times, he asks, as if forgiveness was something to be calculated out and recorded on a balance sheet. Okay, I've forgiven that person five times. Now I only have to do it two more times. That's keeping score not forgiving from the heart. certainly doesn't work in a marriage, or for that matter, in any other relationship, and it certainly won't earn us brownie points from God. Another clue to this parable is that it is full of hyperbole, exaggeration. The incredible amount of debt that the slave owes is the most obvious example, as is the idea that a person could endure enough torture to repay such a debt it's also highly unlikely that a king would offer anyone, much less a slave, a seemingly unlimited line of credit, knowing that he probably couldn't repay it, and still remain solvent. The most ridiculous piece in the entire parable, however, is the king's forgiveness of this unbelievable debt. Who would erase such a debt so completely? Who would forgive it without some kind of strings attached? Who would offer such an unexpected, undeserved, life-changing gift? I think you know the answer as well as I do. God. God gives each one of us this unexpected, undeserved, life-changing gift of forgiveness. And God does it over and over and over again. Seventy times seven and more. Sit with that for a moment. Think about the countless ways you have messed up, maybe just this past week. All those things you did that you shouldn't have done and the things you should have done but didn't. And know that God forgives you. Forgives you utterly and completely and lovingly feel that mercy and grace. A God who loves this much is not one who seeks to force us to forgive, but rather is one whose grace and mercy can free us to offer grace and mercy to others. Which leads me to think that maybe, just maybe, the point of this parable is to wake us up to the opposite truth. That when we refuse to live in God's grace, we condemn ourselves to a prison of our own making. Theologian David Lose writes, But what if we read the judgment of the king in another way? What if we imagined that rather than inflicting some new or old punishment on the unforgiving servant, the king has actually only described the condition in which his servant already lives. That is, he is already a slave to the world of counting and calculating and reckoning everything according to the law and will therefore remain a slave to that way of being until the end of time or when he can forgive others, whichever comes first. This isn't, I think, a softening of the parable, but rather inviting the parable to push us to the very brink of our being. Forgiveness, you see, is ultimately a decision about the past. I'll wait till that's done. I guess we have a lot of motorcycles in town. We forgive you for the noise. It's fine. Let me say that again. Forgiveness, you see, is ultimately a decision about the past, the decision to accept both that you cannot change the past and also that the past does not have to hold you captive. Forgiveness is a decision about the past that ultimately determines the future. When you forgive, you release the past and enter into an open future. When you cannot forgive, you remain captive to that past until the end of time. Forgiveness, in this sense, is freedom Freedom from the past, freedom for the future, the kind of freedom God wants for each one of us. Now, let me be very clear here. Forgiveness is not ignoring hurt or overlooking injury. Forgiveness is not about neglecting to hold someone accountable. Forgiveness is most certainly not about allowing or enduring abuse. This parable has been used far too many times by the church to tell abused women that they must forgive their husbands, an action of which we need to repent by actively helping victims like that to find the safety and help that they need. Forgiveness is none of those things. Forgiveness is remembering what it is like to be forgiven ourselves. It is drawing on the grace that we have received through Jesus Christ and in that grace, letting go of a grudge, releasing the desire for vengeance and freeing ourselves from the prison of our anger. It is to choose the possibility of a renewed relationship instead of keeping score. This is not to say that forgiveness is easy. We can carry resentment around with us for so long that it feels as though we feel empty without it. It's part of us. And stoking the fire of righteous anger can become a way to feel good about ourselves. To choose to do otherwise takes courage. Courage especially since forgiving is often more of a process than a one-time event, one that takes time and effort, but it can lead to healing and new life, not only for the other person, for the one who is forgiven, but for the one who forgives for us. The title of this sermon comes from a song that I heard a few years back and that touched me deeply. It's written by a woman named Sarah Renner, and the lyrics of the song go like this. I'm not going to sing it because I don't have her voice, but I'm going to read it to you. Part of me, part of you, is frozen in a tragedy. So many words left unsaid, I see or hear ringing in your head. Let all the demons that led you here disappear. If you want to live, forgive We walk this world with wounded hearts. Define our faces by our scars till pain begins to taste like freedom and bitterness is who we are. Before the ones who love you here disappear. If you want to live, forgive. Let this pain pour out of you like water from a sieve. Heal this endless ache and be set free sweep the wreckage to the safe side of the street for you for me forgive yes forgive do you want to be free do you want to believe do you want to breathe again live again love again do you want to be strong get up on your feet and walk again do you want to rise above the comfort of this curse If you want to live, forgive. If you want to live, forgive. How do we do that? British theologian and author C.S. Lewis once wrote in one of his journals, Last week while at prayer, I suddenly discovered that I had finally forgiven someone I had been trying to forgive for over 30 years. I have no explanation, my friends, for this kind of thing except to turn to the words of the Apostles Paul, written over 2,000 years ago. All this is from God. I think it's only by turning to God and immersing ourselves in the ocean of God's forgiveness that we can truly forgive from the heart, can truly be a community whose hallmark is love, can truly be the body of Christ, Forgiven and forgiving, beloved and loving. In a few minutes, we're going to sing 2169 in the faith we sing. But before we do that, I'd like to suspend a few minutes in silent prayer. I invite you to close your eyes or leave them open, whatever works for you, and bring to mind one person whom you have trouble forgiving. It might be a friend. Or a coworker, or a family member, or maybe even yourself. And to ask God to help you to move toward forgiveness. If you find you can't forgive now, pray that the time will come when you can. And if you cannot pray that prayer, simply share your feelings honestly with God and rest in the knowledge that God accepts and loves you regardless. Let us be in prayer.